good to be back with you. Thank you for a little hiatus that I had. It was successful in that I brought back a great head cold because my granddaughters hugged me a lot with their cold. So I measure that as a means of success, that the trip was fruitful. Um, But it is good to be back with you and the family sends their love and hellos and and their best wishes to everyone here at East Glenville. So let's turn in our scriptures to Romans chapter 8. As we look at the justified life this morning, again, Paul has spent the first seven chapters speaking in terms of what does it mean for us to be justified by faith alone. And then in chapter 8, he moves into what does that actually look like? How does that practically work out in life? And he started with because of what God has done in justifying us, we live in a life that doesn't have condemnation, that we're free from that sword of Damocles, so to speak, over our head, that we can rest assured and be at peace that God has been satisfied, his wrath has been satisfied by the blood of his son on the cross on the behalf of those who are in him and believe in him. And therefore, we are transformed to live a life that is different. We live a life that is now a life according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And this morning, Paul is going to emphasize that even further with some of the most dramatic and impactful verses, I think, in the Scriptures in totality. Um, These Scriptures that we will read this morning are the most defining Scriptures of who you and I are in Christ. So read with me beginning at the 12th verse through the 17th. The Apostle Paul writes the Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by this Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I just thank you so much for the declaration of childhood and that you have named us yours. I pray, O God, that you would suspend this head cold and this congestion that I might speak and proclaim your gospel. Pray, O Lord, that our ears would be open, that we might hear, our eyes open, that we would see you. Lord, may you be clearly portrayed as the King of kings for your glory's sake. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, open thy word. Amen. So you don't know this about me, probably. Some of you might. I've I've said it several times. I think there's an air of disbelief that it cannot be true. But I used to be really skinny. 
So much so that when I was a teenager, I was ridiculed for being so skinny. Uh, I was called names like stick, beanpole, don't let the wind blow too hard, he'll fly away. And of course, I tried to play football, and you can imagine how some of the football athletes knocked me around and after they would pick me up off the ground, would laugh. And it was to the point where it became sort of in my head, I became defined as being skinny. I'm defined by another word now, but I can't tell you how that made me want to be heavier. It made me want to be bigger. And I started drinking, like, there used to be a drink called Nutrient you know, that would actually, it was a protein drink that would actually put weight on you. It was full of powdered fat and all sorts of stuff. Drank five bottles a day of that, could not put on one pound. Um, obviously things changed. But I got defined by, by who that was, and I can't tell you what that did to my psyche. I was always concerned about people thinking that I was not good enough, that I wouldn't be strong enough, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't fit in. And my clothes never fit really right. Um, all sorts of things went with that. And you can see where that began maybe to define how I felt about myself and how it defined my self-image. All of us have been called names. All of us know what it is to have people point their finger and begin to label us, to say you're too tall or you're too short. You're too round, you're too tall, you're too wealthy or you're too poor, you're too critical or you just don't care. You're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not handsome enough. And all of those things that we've been called have labeled us. But I want to tell you, in these verses... Something transformational happened to me when I read them as a teenager. When I heard God call me a name. And it's the same name I hope you hear clearly today. That God calls you his child. Nothing has defined me more since I read these scriptures long ago. Nothing has made me more content with who I am than the words, you're my child, call me Abba. And it transformed everything about my life from that point on. That I would be defined no longer by the names of people, by the names of abusive adults, or by the names of people who made fun of me, or by the name of people who didn't like me. But I would from this point on be defined by the name child of God. And in that, I found comfort. And I began to find out that as a Christian, we are called to live a certain life. When we look at what Jesus says about what does this justified life look like, what does it look like to be with Christ, we hear, we hear words like abundant. Jesus says, I came to give you life, and I came to give it to you abundantly. We hear words like joyful, kind, compassionate. Faithful, trustful, delighted. And I look throughout churches all over, 
And I look in the face of many Christians today. And I don't know that that really defines our lives any longer the way that it should. Are we defined by our joy? Are we defined by our faithfulness? Are we defined by our contentment? Are we defined by our faith? Are we defined by the way that we trust God? What is it that the world sees when they look at the life of the Christian? What is it that this community sees when it looks at the life of East Glenville Community Church? What does it see when it looks at the elder board of this church or the deacons or the average pew sitter? What, does, what do we communicate to the world around us of what this justified life looks like? Well, Paul goes on to explain that maybe helps us begin to step into what might it look like for us to live under the justification of Christ and to live a life that is more defined by Christ and the declaration of being children of God than children of the world. Well, the first thing we want to see this morning, it is a life of exodus. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul here is using some clear language that Jewish people and his audience would completely understand when he says that, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. This is very Old Testament language right out of the Exodus that Paul is preaching to the New Testament church. That in the same way that the people of Israel were called out of Egypt and called out of slavery in Egypt, you and I have been called out of the slavery of sin. And we wander in the wilderness of this world. And as we wander in the wilderness of this world, we are to look like the Israel of the Old Testament as we wander through the New Testament wilderness as people who trust in the Spirit of God. And when we look at what did they trust in, what were they, they were trusting in God's provision, in God's protection. And they were trusting in what God would do for them in the promised land. What does a life of flesh look like? Well, it isn't hard to describe, is it? If this is what we're to put to death, it would behoove us to think about what does it look like to live in the flesh. To look in the to work, live in the flesh is to live in worry. To live in the wonderment of what's next. To live in the fear that God does not have good planned for you or for me. To live in the flesh is to trust in manipulation. That I can protect myself by allying myself with the right people or with the right groups. That if I just read the right books and hang out with the right folks and say the right things to the right people, they will protect me. And that's nothing different than what Israel did in the wilderness. As they tried to make alliances with kings of the desert instead of trusting in God to protect them. 
instead of trusting in God to provide them for them, instead of believing that God would be faithful to deliver them into the land that he had promised to them. They continually doubted God's goodness for them. They continually grumbled about their conditions that they were in. When the world looks at you and I, do they look at you and I as a grumbling people? If we are a grumbling people, we are people of the flesh. We are people who have forgotten the promises of God. That God is going to do greater things in us than we could ever imagine. And he has a destiny for us that's bigger than we could ever think of. And that he has promised that to us, sealed in the blood of his own son. And so when we grumble against our circumstances, we forget that we are living a life of exodus. That you and I have been called out of the slavery of flesh to live differently than the world. To display different attributes to the world instead of reflecting back the very attributes that the world finds comfort in. If the world finds comfort in power and in money, what good is it for us to reflect that back to them that the church also finds comfort and power and money? If the world reflects back it's who you know, not who you are, what good does it do for the church to reflect back the same attitude? Within the body of Christ, it's who you know, not who you are. You see, those are the deeds of the spirit or of the flesh we must put to death. We must not live that way. In the same way that those who grumbled in the desert against God never entered into the promised land, you and I must understand grumbling is never going to allow us to see the kingdom of God. That's why Paul says here, brothers and the inference is sisters, we are debtors. It's a, it's a very particular word that Paul uses there that means one who owes something. That Jesus didn't die for us just to make us trophies that he put on the shelf. That he might bring a celestial king by every once in a while and say, look at this trophy, isn't it shiny and pretty? In a few millenniums, it's going to have some dust on it, but it'll still be up there on the shelf. That's not at all what happened to us when Jesus redeemed us. When Jesus redeemed us, we were brought into the family of God as children of God to do the work of God, to follow the Spirit, to live a life of exodus that we don't belong here any longer. Evidenced by the way that we behave. Evidenced by the things that we look forward to. Evidenced by the places where we place our confidence. Evidenced by the way we look at the future. Evidenced by the way, the places that we put our security. We are to live this life of exodus in the spirit, knowing that If need be, God will bring water from a rock. If need be, God will send manna from the sky. If need be, God himself will show up in a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire. 
God will do what is ever necessary to fulfill his promises to his people. Are you living under that kind of conviction? Are you a church that's convicted by that truth so much? Do you have a complete confidence that God will fulfill every promise he's made to you? Because, see, that's the conviction that means you will see the promised land. That is the conviction of the Spirit that says, I believe I will live by the Spirit, that God will do whatever he has promised to do for me. That God will do for this church what he has promised to do for this church. That it's not dependent upon man. Coincidentally enough, Jackie read from Joshua 1. Some of you may remember some three years ago. That was the very first sermon I ever gave to this church. Be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Why? And you'll remember I told you that Moses had just died. And that God is coming to his people and saying, my plan is not dependent upon Moses. I have lifted up Joshua. Now, Joshua, be strong and be courageous because you are now the servant to lead the people into this land. The point of that is this. Your fretting, my fretting, our collective worry... is the evidence that we're living in the flesh and not by the Spirit. We are living this life of exodus because we want to live a life of testimony. It's no accident that God has called you and I into the wilderness because it's in the wilderness that we give a testimony of how we trust God. In the last half of verse 15, Paul says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Here again is that, that idea that you're brought out of the slavery of Egypt. You were brought out of the slavery of sin to wander in the wilderness. It's not so that we might show fear in the wilderness, but by implication that we show courageousness in the wilderness because we have received a spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are called into this life that is filled with hardship, that is filled with trial, that is filled with difficulty. It has cancer. It has accidents. It has death. It has strife. It has sickness. It has colds. And Christians experience every single one of those. The same way non-Christians experience every single one of those. The difference is, is how we experience them. Will we reflect back to the world the way that they experience it? Or will we reflect back to the world the spirit of how we trust God as we walk through these things? We're led by the spirit. We understand that we are protected by God. We're led by the Spirit. We understand that we are provided for by God. We live by the Spirit. We know that God has saved us and will deliver us into the new heavens and the new earth. 
so that we might see the new Jerusalem. I had a great story I was going to tell until I thought of a greater story in talking with Don Crane this morning at the passing of his nephew Peter. Don was telling me that on his side he has a verse out of John 15, no greater love is a man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. As you know, his nephew was in the military. He was a pilot. He just died last week. And the testimony of Don and his, and his brother, Peter's dad, was that this was a young man who lived that truth that he tattooed on his side so that the world may know that there was no greater call in his life than he should lay down his life for his friends. And at his eulogy and in the testimony of this young man, the truth of someone living for Christ was foretold. If today is your day, if today is my day, that the Lord should call us home, would the eulogy be, this was a person who was convicted in the promises of God? Or would it just simply be, they were just like everybody else? You see, every trial that we have, and we have them, we have serious trials. Every conflict that we have, and we have serious conflicts. There's nothing Pollyanny about being a Christian. As a matter of fact, there's something dangerous about being a Christian in this world. And the danger is this, that you and I walk around with a target huge on our back for the enemy that wants to persecute us. And in the point of persecuting us is so that our testimony would be no different than the world. That he could say, aha, there was one who called upon Christ. Look at how he runs or she runs to the world for comfort. When the defeat of the enemy is this, aha, I have nothing I could say. They trusted Christ. They're trusting Christ. With every minute that they have, their life is cast upon Christ. And in this wilderness, people see it. It's the point that you and I have life. It's the reason we have life. It's the reason we have eternal life. It is the reason that we have been called to walk and wear the moniker of Christ followers. So that the world looks at us and says, there's something different there. There's someone there who has cast their entire future, their wealth, their everything upon Jesus Christ. They don't live lives of hypocrisy. They don't curse their brothers and sisters with one word and then bless someone else with another word. They don't seek disharmony and disunity, but they look to be one even as Christ and God the Father are one because they have this revelation of what has happened to them. They have become the family of God. They cry out, Abba, Father, and doing so are exclaiming, God, we are family, and you are the head. 
of our family. The word we have here, the word cry out, is a Greek word, kreatso. It means what it sounds like. When I was about 17, my dad, we got word that my dad had been killed in a car accident, supposedly. You can imagine the distress we had as a family, and he was two hours away, wherever the accident had happened was supposedly two hours away. And this was before the advent of cell phones or pagers or texting or any way to really communicate. So it was two, two and a half hours of agony waiting to see the crumpled up car, waiting to identify what was left of him. As we pulled up in my brother-in-law's yard where the accident happened right in front of my brother-in-law's house, we tearfully were walking towards the front door when all of a sudden my dad popped out. I couldn't contain myself. My arms went out and I cried out, Daddy! That's the language that's being used here. That's what God is calling for you and I to live like. That when the world bangs us up, when the world confronts us, we don't turn on one another. We don't turn on God, but we lift up our arms to God with children who have tears in their eyes with full confidence of the relief of Daddy. Here's the most beautiful thing of all, that the Spirit Himself, God the Spirit, in a Levitical Old Testament way, bears witness with our spirit for where there are two or more that testify, there is a truth. And it's God Himself who comes to testify with us. It is true. He is Abba. He is your Father. And then if we are children, we are heirs of God. The anticipation of receiving an estate is a big deal. There's a lot of thinking through what will we do with it. How should we spend it? What will we pay off? How will life be different? And even before the funds are distributed from the estate, we have a sense of peace and security. Because we have an assurity in a thing we call a will that comes out of a probate court that the funds would be distributed as the will prescribes. And so we have a confidence. What I would say to you and I is this. We have a will, a testament that's written by God in the blood of His Son that is more sure and has more certainty to it than any man-made document that's ever been written. 
because it's written through the blood of Jesus Christ. That as you and I cry out, Creazzo Abba, we cry out an intimacy of confidence knowing that we live this justified life being blessed as joint heirs with Christ Himself. To everything that belongs to Jesus. That as Christ rose from the grave and ascended to His throne, if you could imagine streams of light flowing out and touching the heads of all who would believe. And in the moment that that light touches their heads, they are transformed into children of God who live with the complete confidence of knowing that they shall share in everything that belongs to God. Evidenced by, we cry out, Abba. Does that change the way that you see life? Maybe like the Israelites, our perspectives need to change. Maybe we should have a different world view than what we've ever had up to this date. Possibly we might treat each other a little differently. Possibly marriages would heal. Relationships be reestablished. Parents and children learn to come together. Because we're more interested in proclaiming the glory of our God than we are the selfishness of our flesh. Practically speaking, what does it look like to be justified? Looks like a life of gratitude. I hope that that's what people think about me, that I'm grateful for all that God has done in my life. I'm grateful for all that God is doing in my life. I'm grateful for all God's going to do in my life. I get down just like everybody else does. I get depressed just like you do. I get scared just like any of you would in here or in the future. But then I recall. Then I remember. Abba. And I cry out. And I fall on my knees. Sometimes in my little office up by myself, I fall on my knees and I say, Abba. I'm scared. Remind me of who I am. Abba, I took some hard criticism today. My temptation is to make it my identity. Abba, teach me to be grateful that I'm your child. Abba, help me.
The way I'm able to do that is because a life that is justified is a life of belonging. I know that I belong to my Father in heaven. I know that no one can ever take that away from me, including myself. I know no one can take it away from you. And there's a sense of confidence and belonging. But I also belong to you. And you belong to me. And whether we're here in East Glenville or whether we're in Jacksonville or whether we're in Los Angeles or whether in Cincinnati or Bora Bora, the geographical location doesn't matter. We are brothers and sisters and we belong one to another. And we need to live the life of belonging. Not the life of separating, not the life of isolation, not the life of casting out, not the life of cloistering in, but the life of arms open wide. Bringing in the world so that it might see the way we love one another. The only way that can happen is that if the life that is justified is a, it's a life of trust. We must trust God. That he will make everything right. Every wound. And this is what John saw in the Revelation. That every tear will be wiped away. Everything that is wrong, everything that is hurtful, everything that has caused pain. The language there says it will be dug out and thrown away. We must trust that to be true. So that we may live this justified life. I hope you know that you are Abbas. And he is yours. And if you don't, there'll be people up here to pray with you. Just tell them I want to know Abba. They'll know what to do with that. Let's pray.